Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. Shout out to uh, my guest today, who will be Mr. Stephen Thomas, who's had the busiest week of his professional life and has still taken a few minutes to join me for what is, whatever way you want to spin your feelings, a Victory Monday podcast after the Browns win a 14-7 slugfest. Steve, how are you, my friend? Uh, it was a win. End of pod, right? I mean, we can just hang <laughs> up. That's guys. it. We're done. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you later at Beer 30. So, look, I, I said on the Twitch show, Steve, I don't know. I've always seen like, hey, man, I need a cigarette to calm my nerves or whatever. Like after an exhausting, exhausting feat, you can use that exhausting feat however you would like to. But uh, the nature of that was such a whirlwind experience. I need a cigarette. I've never smoked a cigarette in my adult life, believe it or not. But uh, that was like, I feel so worn out at the end of that game. And, and, and we're going to talk about the highs and the lows of that thing. But boy, was that like, all I can say was it was an experience, right? Like we watched a football game. <laughs> well, honestly, I, I don't know if we thought it would be that low scoring. But to be perfectly honest, I said this all week, you know, and you saw it in print. I said it on Twitch. I said there's apparently people out there that were under the impression they were going to walk in and just, you know, 40 to 6. Like they were going to wax this team. And and that was never the case. Mm -hmm. uh, there was two things that I thought going in. One, I said this way back on Monday. The Vikings coming into today were a questionable call on a fumble. I still don't know if that was a fumble week one in overtime yeah. against the Bengals. And a missed 37-yard chip shot from being 3-0. and Okay, so I you know the margin of error is so razor thin. And today, I mean, they were insert any number of plays away from being 4-0. I mean, really. Second, I called Kirk Cousins the Iceman from Top Gun of quarterbacks, and the more I thought about it, it sort of equates to the way the entire Vikings team plays. They, uh, You remember what they said about him uh, in the movie. They said that's how he flies, cold as ice, you know, uh, boring, no mistakes. You get tired, you get bored, you get make a mistake, and then he's got you. And that seems like that's what the Vikings do. They dink and dunk. They, they they keep you in front of them on defense. They're not a great defense, but they do a good job. They keep you in front. You you have to take – I mean, the Browns had, what, two plays – or I'm sorry, two drives of 15 plays or more. You have to do that. And a lot of teams in the NFL don't have the patience to do that. You get bored. You get tired. You want an exciting chunk play. You're tired of second and seven, third and three, convert. Second and eight, third and four, convert. It gets boring. You get tired. And then when you try to go for something that's not there, then you're in third and nine, and then they unleashed a Neil Hunter, and you're sacked. And that's, that's how they win games. And so I thought today was going to have to be very, very patient especially on offense. I thought it would end up, you know, 23-21 or, or so. I thought, you know, both teams would put more points on the board. But in essence, in execution, it played out pretty much how I expected. You can't, you can't go into a game against a, a team like the Vikings with the personnel they have and the way they play expecting a bunch of sports center top 10 highlight play. You're not going to, I mean, very rarely you're going to get like an 80 yard play on a busted coverage or something like that. You have to take what's in front of you. And that's what they did. And they ended up winning an ugly game, which is kind of what we thought. But the, the key to the, everything that I just said is winning. Okay. They, they six, which I'm sure we're going to get into here shortly was off to be kind today. He had a bad day and he knew it. Everybody knew it. We all saw his presser. Everybody, there was no doubt he had a bad day today. They still won the game. I mean, the Vikings scored on their first drive, and then the defense cranked it up to a point that we have been waiting to see. The defense today was everything we hoped that they could be during the offseason. Consistent, destructive pressure with just the front four for the most part, which gave them the ability to drop seven into coverage most of the time. And only give up a few, you know, decent sized middle mid range chunk plays. That's that's what this defense can be. So uh, it was, if the offense can get on track, if they can get healthy on the offensive line, 
and Baker can get back to being Baker. If, if this is the worst of the worst, let's hope it is. Let's hope this doesn't become a weekly occurrence. Let's say he bounces back and this game is an anomaly. His team's going to win a lot of freaking football games. Now, I know it's frustrating to watch today. It definitely was, and it, it should not have come down to a, uh, a Hail Mary at the end. It, a total Cleveland move there. But the fact that we've been on the other end of games like this countless, countless, countless times over the years, I am – we'll pick it apart all week. But for the rest of today, I'm just going to be happy that they escaped and we're picking apart a win. That's the most important thing. Yeah, you hit on a lot there. I mean, we're going to pick sure. – so, sort of we're going to get granular on all of those things. So. Right. You, you, let's focus defensively to start. We should focus on the really, really good. We're, we're going to have so much Baker discussion by the end of the week. It's going to make my head want to like melt. You off. think? You think? <laughs> but we will get there. We'll talk about him today too. But in this game, some important stats to note, Steve. They held him to 255. I would imagine if I click on this button here that says possession, uh, the last drive for Minnesota netted 46 yards. So they were right on the cusp. The last two drives, Minnesota, <laughs> the last two drives goes for 55 and 46. One which they stopped him on downs at the 12. The other one was obviously aided by some penalties. They, they basically held the Vikings under 200 yards. Like, I, I consider it that close. Like, and they were what, right there. 70-something of that was on the very first drive, right? 100%. 100%. It was a 76-yard drive, I think, was what right. the number was. I don't have it right up pulled in front of me, but it's, it's something like that. So, yeah. and Kirk was 6 for 6. He was hot. I'm like, ooh, we might be in for a long one. They settled yep. in. So, stats worth noting. Jake Trotter, shout out to him, visitor on this pod. Uh, six, uh, 22 pressures today on Kirk mm. Cousins. 16 of them came from four-man pressures, four-man oh, four rushers. That's outstanding. Basic. It's unbelievable. And then a stat, other stat worth noting, a good friend of mine hit the DMs, Dennis Maniloff, longtime Cleveland.com, uh, you know, plain dealer writer. Passed 25 possessions for the Browns, 367 total yards, Steve. One touchdown, 13 mm. points, 0. .52 points per possession. That's, a, that's the last two drives against Houston, 11 against Chicago, 12 against Minnesota. That's unbelievable. Like, we mm -hmm. might not have seen a better stretch of collective defense since the return of 99. They're putting together some performances. Now, as we know, mentioned this word earlier, throwing big ones at you. Football's capricious. It can change and go different directions all of a sudden. Browns can play a shootout. They could play a 40-point shootout with, with, with the Chargers next week. But what we're analyzing now is how good the defense is, Steve. And what we're realizing is this is the vision you and I talked about. Hey, why should they take uh, Greg Newsom? And I know Greg didn't play, but why should they take Greg? Why should they also go get John Johnson when they have Grant Delpit coming back? Played his butt off today. Yes. When they already have Ronnie Harrison. Why should they do the? This is what coverage depth looks like. This is why you go get guys who can step in and play. Because Greedy Williams played his butt off. If you can get these guys in your system and they cover, this is where you get quarterbacks flustered because there are seven in coverage and seven good players. Troy Hill played his butt off. That's how you then use that money that you spend on Miles. Malik Jackson, we see what Malik Dow's becoming. Jadevian Clowney, what's up? Holy performance. Oh. This is what the vision you and I talked about all offseason, leading up to the draft, after the draft. Exactly. This is the vision, right? This is what it's supposed to look like. Talk about it, man. Yeah, I, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, I hit on it, but I, I know you're going to be able to break it down, you know, uh, into specifics, <clears throat> excuse me, as we move over the next few days once the All-22 drops. But yeah, this is what we talked about um, because you hit on two things today. Uh, Greg, uh, Greg, Greg Williams, Greg uh, Newsom didn't play and Ronnie Harrison went out really early, uh, a first drive, if I'm not mistaken, with a concussion. Malcolm Smith was out for a while. Anthony Walker's still not playing. Uh, you know, all of these things. And yet they're bringing in guys who aren't street level free agents. We're the we're not making the jokes now like we were at the end of last year where we said, heck, they're they're you know, one injury away from calling me to play safety. You know, I, it was. When you have guys that can come in and you don't have to alter the game plan, uh, not just not alter it drastically, but not alter it at all, really. And you can go too deep at pretty much every spot along the defense. It's such an advantage. And you pair that with, again, as we've said twice here today and we've said, uh, you know, all, all through the draft cycle, all of it. If you can get pressure with just four, it, it, it's indeterminable how much of an advantage that is, right? I'm like, you can't express 
how much defensive coordinators in the NFL love to see it and how much opposing offenses hate to see it because you've said this, I've heard you say this, I don't know how many times watching your breakdowns and stuff. The NFL is a, is a league of mismatches. That's what you do. You try to find the mismatch. And when somebody blitzes, when they have to bring five or six to get pressure on a consistent basis, at some point you're going to have enough film uh, either from the day or from the season as a, as, as a whole to know where that mismatch is going to be. They're bringing this guy. Well, every time they bring you know so-and-so, we know that this corner has been, you know, susceptible to such and such, and and so we'll pick on him all day, and that's what happens when it's just four over. And there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go with the ball. That's when you see, and then people will say things like, "Oh, well, you know, it was just a cleanup sack." I don't, you know, well, the cleanup sack means the other guys in the secondary did their job. There's something there to clean up. So, when you look at the way this defense handled today. And you and I talked about this, and we weren't the only ones, but people were worried that the off coverage, the uh, keep it in front of them, the bend but don't break, however you want to phrase it, all that stuff played right into the hands, like we said, of the way this Minnesota Vikings team likes to play. Kirk Cousins, guy's a veteran, man. He's never going to be you know, Aaron Rodgers. He's never going to be Tom Brady. But you, whatever you give him, he's going to take it. And if it, that means – Dinking and dunking down the field, then he's going to dink and dunk you to the L column most of the time. They took it all away. They took it all away. They, the, I, I don't remember after that. I think the first play of the game, Dalvin Cook had like 13 yards or something like that. And maybe there was a couple other seven or eight yarders here and there. I don't remember the running game other for most of the day. They didn't I, run, I, I Steve. Just, they ran nine. I can't okay. recall it. Here's Dalvin Cook, nine rushes, 34 yards. Madison, 10 carries, 20 yeah. yards. 19 carries for 44 yards. Come on, so dude. not only are you is your front four obviously doing the job in pass rush. Not only is that very apparent, but they're not like getting out of their rush. They're not like wildly abandoning, you know, hair on fire pass rush and just letting people run past them. They're being disciplined by doing it. And the the pressure up front and the and the power up front and the depth up front also is improving the second level of the defense, right? This is something you can speak to much deeper level than I do, but all the angst that everybody's had about the linebackers last year and this year and everything else, well, part of that is, as our friend Pete Smith likes to say, for years until last year and now especially this year, you had lawn furniture playing in front of you on the defensive line. It makes it really difficult for the linebackers to play well if they're constantly caught up in, in the junk. They're being kept clean for the most part in the run game. So... And they're making teams can, one face, Steve. Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, 14 carries, 43 yards. Week two from the Texans game. Leading rusher, uh, four, 11, 14 carries, 41 yards for Mark Ingram. We saw David Montgomery last week. We know the Bears didn't do anything. Uh, 10 carries, 34 yards. They're making teams one phase football yep. teams. They're, they're eliminating the run. How many years have we watched Browns defenses just get killed? And yep. the run game, they're eliminating it at all levels. And I said this on the post-game Twitch show, Steve, and, and this is going to sound weird, but I think for the short term, the Anthony Walker injury actually helped the Browns' defense. It bumped Malcolm Smith out of taking Will snaps from JOK to playing Mike, where he's clearly more comfortable playing good right. football. And number 28 has found the field more often. He, again, is playing at a different speed than everybody in the box. He is. He's just a difference maker and it's eliminating one phase, and you're spot on. Tack McKinley's teeing off. They're getting guys from depth spots getting after the quarterback. It's making a huge difference. Kirk Cousins was sixth in pass rush pressure rate coming into this game. The sixth lowest percentage of pass rush pressure, 50% of snaps, was pressure today. So, Well, and the other thing, too, is the, the, you're talking about you know, what we've watched Browns defenses get murdered by the running game. What else have they been murdered by for two decades? Tight ends, right? Now, you take out Travis Kelsey uh, in the first game when they didn't have Grant Delpit, when they didn't have Ronnie Harrison and all the stuff that went on there. Take out Travis Kelsey. I, can you remember a, a tight end? murdering us uh, the last three can you remember a tight end you know when you get the pressure the guy's flushed he's, he's moving to his right and suddenly how the hell is the tight end 15 yards open you know there's nobody even in the picture when they throw in the ball I can't remember that happening and that was a regular occurrence for the last 20 years so 
you know, now it may turn out that these last two games are an anomaly, just like I said with Baker's games. Maybe they revert back to what they did in the Chiefs, Chiefs game, and they, you know, everybody's all up in Joe Woods' business. And I, I don't know how the future is going to unfold. I don't think that's going to happen, mm-hmm. but we have to wait and see how it goes. So my thought is this. It's never going to be perfect. I, again, people seem to expect Sports Center highlights for 60 minutes, and, and I, that may be a product of social media. I don't know why, but You're right. the reason that those are highlights is because they're not the usual thing. Most football plays are pretty boring. I mean, you you watch more film than anybody I know. 90% of the plays you watch are boring as hell, aren't they? It's that 10% yeah. that make the difference in a game and make the sports center highlights. But if those boring plays aren't executed properly, the 10% that are exciting never happen. So the fact that they're making the boring plays now instead of getting beat on the boring plays is the difference between being 3-1, and one, probably should be 4-0, and oh, and, you know, in years past, a team played this many close games would have assuredly been two and two at best. So uh, I, I don't think you can say enough about the defense today. Uh, that being said, even with as bad, and I know you want to get to Baker here, even with as bad as he played today, they had two really long drives. I mean, they still had 30, what, 36, almost uh, over 35 minutes of possession. They still had 20 first downs. They still put up over 300 yards of offense. They... They control the line of scrimmage on offense for the most part. Um, and, and it was, side note, good to see James Hudson come in and at least hold his own for the, the time that he was in there. But I, it, I don't know that you could have asked for much more from the defense today. Uh, and the offense at least gave the defense enough rest to continue to perform at their high level. No, they didn't put up a ton of points. But they, were, they, were, they had the Vikings defense... Not maybe not on their heels, Steve. They're on their heels. On they, their there, toes. Were, there were open throws. Like yeah. we're going to talk about Baker, oh, well, and, and I'm too, not going to. Yeah. I'm not going to crush. I, we're not going to go down the lane of crushing Baker. Like it, this game does not define him. He was terrible. I'm not going to sugarcoat that aspect of it. Right. But like questions that kept coming up in the post game: Are the wide receivers separating enough, or is this that or the other? Like a, the the game plan was freaking perfect. It was so good. They missed three touchdown balls. Maybe you could say four touchdown balls if you consider the ball that hit the back of the corner's head where Odell has three steps, right. one of those touchdown balls. They should have put up 30 points, which is a considerate, sorry, a consistent theme I've been saying for three weeks. Yep. Now, again, it's four weeks in a huge season. Everything could change. Everybody was ready to put Baker Mayfield in a grave until halftime of the Bengals game in week seven. He mm-hmm. is clearly a hot and cold quarterback we're gonna get there in a minute but to close out defense Steve I think you do have to talk about when Joe Woods dialed up pressure they were fun they did get after Kirk you give Mm -hmm. him credit for that also again I need to shout out some specific guys stepping on the field AJ Green came in was Mm -hmm. in the right places a hell of a catch by KJ Osborne or maybe it was DD Westbrook but I think it was Osborne oh that was ridiculous that was a great catch but again right where he was supposed to be. MJ Stewart found the field a few times and was in the right places when he was stepping in for the dime backer that Ronnie Harrison is. There's uh, Elijah Lee got some snaps. I don't know if Malcolm Smith was dinged up for a little bit in that game. I did not hear the report, but uh, he was in and out for phases of it. Elijah Lee was playing and seemed to play well. And I cannot speak highly enough. I'll rewatch it. and Maybe I'm overselling it as we sit here on Sunday night, but Grant Delpit, dude, the guy we thought he was. He was all over mm. the football field. That diving play on that over out to Thielen, whoo, that was like Oh yeah. That's big time football, man. So I, I just kind of want to put a bow tie on the defense. We've given you some really good statistics about it. You should feel as good about AFC North Browns defense. Like I'm gritting my teeth, man. Super AFC North performance. Like that was it. You drop seven, you get pressure with four. That's the vision that we have been talking about as we talked about what Andrew Barry's clear vision is, is like putting this in perspective for you. That's what we try to do on this podcast and the OBR in general. And I hope you see what we've been trying to tell you that vision is. There's enough talent. I will say this vocally on this pod, Steve. There is enough talent on defense to win a Super Bowl here this year. I do not doubt oh, that there is, there is there's enough talent. Doubt. And I think there was some question about that, Steve. I do uh, before the year started, but I think it's, I think it, again, the first two weeks, everybody wanted to eviscerate these guys, but you see how the vision is sort of shifting into what they want to be and where they're going. And there truly is 
enough talent on this team to win a Super Bowl defensively and offensively too. And we're going to get there, but I just like the defense was always the question is the guy, are they going to mesh? Are they going to figure it out? All these pieces. I think you can see the vision and how it came together. Right. Yeah. And I think uh, to be fair, um, a lot of those questions were health related. Like we didn't know about Grant Delpit's coming back from us. I mean, Achilles is no, Small feet, although these guys are coming back from this stuff faster and faster. Maybe we're not going to worry. Maybe it's going to be like a pulled hamstring pretty soon. I I don't know, but we didn't know. Is he going to come back? And plus, he's still basically a rookie. Is Jadevian Clowney going to come back or is he going to get hurt? Is, you know, I mean, there were a lot of those health questions uh, on the defense. And, you know, Ronnie Harrison's dinged up. And and what about the linebackers? And is JOK big enough to play on the second level? Are they going to have the right plan for him? And, I, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I think you're spot on. We see what they want to do, and we see that they have the talent to accomplish it. That That's the thing. And they have the talent too deep at most spots to accomplish it. They're not a, a team that, you know, want, well, maybe miles. But other than that, it's, it's not like one guy goes down, then all is lost. They've got yeah. enough talent everywhere to really – pick each other up, you know? So, um, yeah, again, uh, it's a long way to go. Uh, maybe, so, maybe so this far. is it. Maybe yeah. this is the best they're going to play and if they're going to settle back into a different, I, you know, I don't know. None of us knows how the future is going, but I think we can see they, they can do it. They can play with anybody on defense, um, when they're right. And today they were right. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and, and again, the Vikings aren't 2007 New England on offense. We get it. We totally get it. But there's real talent on that team, and they've put mm-hmm. up points on everybody. And they're going to continue to put up points on a lot of people. And you should not scoff at this defense. And I'm not saying anyone is. Maybe I'm just making up a, a, a thing that's happening when it's not happening. But, like, there's no, well, it was just blah, blah, blah. No. Their offense put all the pressure on these guys to perform, and they did it. And they shut down a, a, what I think is a very talented offense by doing all the things necessary. So win. let's let, – Go ahead. Oh, win. Yes. That's let, it. Let, let's shift win. to offense. We we, we have to – We have, They won. It's great. We're, we're happy. I'm elated. I really am. Uh, but you got to talk about the offense. They go for – again, they go for 327, and they run the football between the two guys who run the football most – 35 carries for 170 yards and a touchdown between those dudes. So I had the question come up in the post game, like, should they just be be giving the ball to the running backs more? I think that's an easy thing to say. They gave them the ball 35 times. You want to give them to him 70? And if you wanted to give them to him 50 times or 45 times, that's an indictment of the problem we are seeing, which is a lack of trust uh, in Baker Mayfield to get it done. I, but again, Steve, I don't think Stefanski has no trust. Like, I don't think he distrusts Baker. He's giving him opportunities. Like, he's giving him yeah. real opportunities. So the run game, to kind of to, to talk about that, I was very vocal in the pregame about needing to have what's called run game efficiency in this game. Not two yards, one yard, negative two, three, three, six, 70. That's not run game efficiency. Joe, Joe right. Thomas, if you research this on Twitter, go search Joe Thomas run game efficiency. He laid it out perfectly as Joe Thomas is in a broadcasting career. Now this is back when Joe was playing. There's a difference between one popped run and calling that yards right. per carry and run game efficiency. And they were efficient today. They were doing a great job of staying out of third and longs. Now they found some third and longs partly because maybe they would miss an early throw, but I thought Kevin Stefanski called a gym of a game. 
He dialed up some great throws for his quarterback, and he used his run game to set up some of those throws. Sorry, people who say you don't have to run to set up to play action. You still kind of do. It helps. And I thought it was helping. And I thought he put, like, listen, in the, if you if he, he if Stefanski absolutely hated Baker and didn't believe he could figure it out, he wouldn't have put third down in his hands, the ball that he brutally missed Odell. He wouldn't do it. He's trying to get the most out of Baker. He gave him opportunities today. So they ran it well. And they ran it efficiently, and they put themselves in some great situations. Now, if you run, if you run a play action and an incomplete on first down, and then you run for four yards, it's still third and long, right? You know, that's like the nature of the game. But right. I thought they ran it enough, Steve. They targeted Odell and, and Rashard Higgins seven times each. This whole mystery target thing could be OBJ one week, could be DPJ the next, could be in joke. Like their target is all over the board. Like it's so hard to predict. But I thought collectively. The the group was fine at wide receiver. I thought the tight end group seemed okay and blocked well. There's a left tackle issue, which I'm going to lay out something to you here in a second, Steve. And then there's a quarterback issue today. The left tackle issue that I have come to to be, and this shout out to Brad Ward who asked this question in the game, the pre the the, the game day pod I do last night. Um, he said the nature of the offensive line is to play through injury. That's what Joe Thomas always did. That's what mm-hmm. uh, JC Treader does. Joel Batonio doesn't miss games unless COVID's involved. Wyatt Teller's a tough SOB. Jack Conklin's a workhorse right tackle. If you can get out there, they kind of have this a bit like this belief in the O-line room of you better freaking play. Now, I think if Jed if if after week 1, uh if Chris Hubbard was still healthy, Jed probably takes a few weeks off. Sure. And I think that's a fact. Now, they're assessing the situation. Blake Hans, nice guy, can't do it. Not able to do it. He is a huge liability. Same with, and listen, James Hudson came in, did battled, not there yet. They don't trust him. They're just kind of starting to, not there yet. So they think maybe 60% of Jed is better than anything else. And Jed's saying, hell yeah, I can do it. I'm a tough dude. I'm a part of this O-line, the culture, the the all of it here. I'll do it. But it's the Chris Hubbard injury that is leaving them with a void there right. because they would be resting him. Cause somebody saw someone say that they're playing, <clears throat> the Browns are playing with fire today and, and uh, they, they got bit by, well, no, they're doing the best option they think they have. Now, if Chris Hubbard can come back, which he practiced late in the week, which is encouraging mm-hmm. uh, the, the left tackle spot is an issue. Now I need to go back, Steve and watch how much are they helping it? How much are they chipping it? How much are they sliding to it? Uh, there's some things to check there from the film. Left tackles an issue. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, that doesn't miss me, uh, but but they're doing what they can with the options they have. They need Hubbard and they need Dunn back. They, those are important sixth, seventh pieces, right? Well, and that's it's exactly what we were just talking about on the defense. They have the depth. They have the depth to go too deep. That's why they signed these guys. That's why they kept Chris Hubbard with his you know five million dollars or whatever it is when everybody wanted to trade him and you know all that kind of stuff. This is why they did it now. Unfortunately, they have multiple injuries at the same position. I mean, you can't account for that. You can't go three, four deep at each position. It's simply impossible. There's only 53 roster spots. So you try to get two deep as best you can everywhere you can and then just hope only one of these guys gets dinged. And I think that's the whole key. I think if Chris Hubbard is back, and I, I have a feeling he will be back this coming week, not only will they rest Jed, they may even, it's still early enough in the year that that three-week IR might be a chance, especially if Michael Dunn comes yeah, back. Because yeah. now he's got tackle you've experience, got, right? You've got, well, you've got Michael Dunn, yeah. who, who's got some tackle experience. You've got Chris Hubbard, who has proven to be a competent at, on either end of the line, four yeah. of the five positions, really. And I know he's not there yet, but he showed, James Hudson showed today that it, it, it's not a, you know, fire alarm situation if he has to go in the game. So sure. if you have those three options at left tackle, maybe you sit Jed down for threes. Because like you said, these guys are play. anybody out there who played a sport at any level, you want to play and you lie to your coach. <laughs> We've all done it. Sure. Hey, are you good to go? And you're sitting there and like you're seeing like cartoon stars because it hurts so bad. And you're like, dude, I'm fine. Put me in, coach. That's what we do. You know, that. and these guys are the best athletes in the world. And there's literally millions of dollars at stake. You think they're going to not lie to their coach? Of course, sometimes you have to save these guys from themselves and go, look, Jed, we appreciate it. We know you're a badass. We know you're a tough guy. No one's questioning your commitment to the team. But right now, man. Uh, you, you, we need you healthy in December and January. That's what we want. So we're going to sit you down. We're going to, you know, muddle through these next three games with Chris and Michael and, you know, whoever it happens to be. Um, and uh, then we'll get you back and, and get you healthy. But 
yeah, I think that's that's the the thing to take away is this was kind of I don't want to say unavoidable, but you can't plan for three deep. Like I said, they did what they were supposed to do. It, they just got really unlucky at one position, kind of like they did last year at safety. You know, that, that's all you can really say about it. And <laughs> anytime you lose two left tackles, you're going to suck at left tackle. Hey, bro, they don't cook those guys up on the street. Exactly. Man. That's the fact of the matter. Michael Dunn only has right. college left tackle experience. Like we're not like this is this is a stretch. We're 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 again. You're stretching it. If you don't have Hubbard again, you're in a pickle. Right. You're in a real pickle here. James Hudson, welcome to the NFL. Welcome to one of the loudest stadiums in the NFL. Oh yeah, yeah. there's Daniel Hunter. Good luck, bro. Like here's Everson Griffin, exactly. who's kind of clearly. And Blake Hintz, yeah, you know, like you said, yeah. he he's not a starting left tackle, but he has proven that in a pinch, I mean, you got to sort of change your game plan a little bit and help him, and maybe run to the right a little more or whatever it is that an OC would do. But he can, again, it's not a fire alarm situation. It's not like they're putting me out there at left tackle when they put Blake Hintz out there. The guy can play, you know. Yeah. So yeah, there. I think the key, like you said, to the whole left tackle situation, at least in the short term, is is Chris Hubbard. If he's okay. I think they're going to be okay until Jed can get right. And I, and I don't know, Steve, we're going to have to see like Baker clearly didn't handle whatever was going on around him very well. Late mid to late game. I thought early in the game, he was trying to handle it. Then he just started to get really fidgety. Um, this is going to sound stupid as we kind of transition to Baker. He, he can't let left tackle bother him. He's got to trust it. Now, if he gets crushed over and over again, that's not on him. I know that's not what you want, but like, he looked like from the second quarter on, and sometimes I think this collectively with him, he seems so ramped up sometimes. Like, I'm just going to say it. This is my podcast. I can say what I want. I see. It seems like sometimes he hits a line of Coke before the series starts. Like, he is so juiced <laughs> up. The dude is so juiced up. Like, he needs to relax. You know, I don't know if any of you play golf, or Steve, you play golf, where your hands are beating your hips and you pull hook the football, like you pull, pull hook the golf ball because your hands are too aggressive and you're beating your turn, and you, that's, what, that's what causes a pull hook, like a snap hook. Like, to me, everybody wants these answers. I just think he's rushed. He's rushed mechanically. He's jittery, and when he misses high, it's oftentimes because he's trying to rip the football, and when you try to throw it so hard you are going to end up releasing the elbows going to come through before the, everything else in natural sync football throwing a football is like it's like it's just like a golf ball football's the throwing a football is the same way it's like twisting a noodle and letting it go everything uncoils and a quarterback has to do the same uncoiling motion and that's something that baker's getting rushed through like i think he is he is not able to handle quick Quick, quick, like, hey, I need to drive this football in on this corner route. I need to drive this ball here. There. That's why he misses high. It's, it's, a, it's a rushed, everything is moving quickly with him, and that's why the elbow drives through the ball sails, and he's just, he needs to whoo, slow down. He is, football is 21 guys playing chaos, Steve. It's 21 chaotic people doing chaotic things. You need one player on the field, that's the quarterback, to be the calm among the storm. And he's just sometimes, more often than we want, in such a hurry, either going through his reads, trying to find the big play, trying to rush a throw, that he just, it's like, hey man, whoo, take a deep breath. Someone needs to put their arm around the dude and say, relax, 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 because he is so wound, so tight right now. It's clear as day to me, Steve, he wants the thing to work out with Odell more than anything in his life, more than anything. He is so heartbroken. You could see the look on his face when he missed that last throw. He wants it so freaking bad. And it's just like you're putting all of this stress on yourself and you're letting yourself hang on to his routes too long. The the three-yard the third and two throw to Felton is because he was staring at the ball to Odell, deciding whether to throw it or not. Just like your chances to 13 are going to happen in, in an Odell separating today, man. Oh, Ooh, my he is, the dude is back. It's like, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. There's no magic remedy other than, Hey bro, like someone say, bake my dude, slow everything down you have enough arm strength to make all these throws you have enough athleticism to put yourself in the pocket where you need to make these plays but if you continue to play jacked up high energy all over the place chaotic it's not gonna work steve it's not gonna work and he had 17 games on the schedule this year to to show his ability and and i think again 
I'm not burying Baker Mayfield here, but he has missed his chance on three of four games this year. He played pretty well in the Chiefs game, but the other three, he's left yardage and touchdowns on the field. We're through four games. He has two passing touchdowns and two interceptions. So he's got to be better. He's He is the key to the everything. And I've always said this, Steve. If Baker plays well, they go for 380 and he throws for four touchdowns and they lose 38-37, people will just kind of feel better. You, the, the NFL is so quarterback-driven that how your quarterback plays has an right. outcome, like an impact on the outcome of how you feel after games. So the Browns won a heroic 14-7 dogfight defensive stalwart performance. And you, you kind of still feel like, shit, you know, like, why don't I feel better? It's because the quarterback didn't play well, and you're apprehensive about the ceiling of the Browns because of it. And it's justifiable, Steve. I will go to you again. I will say this, and you can talk me off the cliff or give your perspective. It is not <laughs> indicative of where Baker can go, but right now the narrative tied to Baker is this. He can make the plays that are given to him. When the defense unfolds the right way, when the scheme unfolds the right way, and he has those throw to make, he can do those things. Now, he's been a little off on those things last week and this week too. Like he missed the, the wheel route to Felton last week. He missed the over route to Bryant in the fourth quarter. Those are throws he normally makes. Today there are about seven throws he normally makes. It's it's again, I still believe he can handle those things. Like he can throw the throws he's supposed to make when it pay, and among the best of them. He can drive it. He's pretty accurate. But He's missing those plays that he has to make on his own. Create, get away from pressure, roll out, find a guy, sit in the pocket, throw with immense anticipation when the defense is not expecting you to find that player. That's what takes Baker Mayfield from average to above to a great, great NFL quarterback. I say it again, my stance is firm. Baker's good. I think he's good. Now, he had an off day today. I think he's good. But the question for, for Baker isn't, is he good? It's, is he great? That's what we're trying to find out. Today was a step in the wrong direction. But again, a step in the wrong direction, you win. You can you can learn from it. I'd rather learn from wins than learn from losses. But he's got to be better, Steve. They got four games coming up that are huge, and he's got to be better, my man. So I, I kind of left it out there. I'll break Baker down at a ridiculous pace later in this week. But... The concerns about where he is and where he can go for this offense, I think, are pretty fair right now. Yeah, I'm with you. And I'll say a few things. And, and you know, I'm always looking for the silver lining. Uh, you know, that's how I approach things. So first, first, let me just clarify this way back at the beginning of your rant. We're joking. No one is seriously saying Baker Mayfield is doing cocaine on the sidelines. So don't fucking come after us. Okay. Don't stop it on Twitter. Don't do that. We were totally joking. Okay. Whatever you want to say, Rush, or he's drinking 17 Mountain Dews, whatever. Cool. Yeah. You get my point. Exactly. The point is, you think he's hyped up, but, uh, and, and you're probably right. Here's my concern with, with trying to rein that in. And it sort of dovetails with, you know, uh, people always say, oh, a gunslinger will throw this interception and that interception. And, you know, I've said for years, I'd rather have that. I will, I will take the occasional bad play if he's aggressive. I think part of Baker Mayfield's effectiveness when he's on is that hype, hyperness, if that's what you wanted, that, that, that intensity, whatever word you want to use uh, for it. I think the fact that he is that amped up is part of how he becomes good Baker, you know, the top Baker that we've seen, uh, you know, numerous times over the past three plus seasons, I think. So it's a slippery slope. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying it's a delicate situation because you don't want to take away what gives him the edge in a game, in a league that, as you have noted and others have noted for decades, it's you have to play emotional. You have to have your you have to be on the ragged edge, but still be in control. It's a very fine line to walk. And at the quarterback position, the, the margin for error is even smaller. Uh, so I, I would caution people how they do that. How do you get them to calm down, but still keep that aggression? Uh, but I would say, yeah, it was. And, and I'm not saying it was it wasn't a bad day today. He was off. He missed some wide open throws. He did. But two things I'm going to say. One, I want to wait for your all 22 breakdown because he seemed like he was holding the ball 
a lot in the first half. And I don't know if that was because he wasn't seeing things or if because there was nothing to see. I mean, as you've noted numerous times, the television broadcast view, you have no idea what's going on in the secondary. Maybe yeah. Minnesota just had everybody blanketed, you know, and there was literally nowhere to go with the ball. Now, there were some schemed plays that he missed, the Felton play uh, you talked about, and a couple others. You know, I mean, he missed uh, Harrison Bryant again on that deep crosser, and obviously the one to Odell and that kind of stuff. But maybe on the, some of those other ones, there was nowhere to go with the ball. I don't know. We'll see that. But I, one area uh, that I would say has improved is this. On a day like today where he clearly didn't have it, so I don't know if it's mechanics. Uh, some people have said the shoulder, and maybe that is. I, at a shoulder, you got to clear that front shoulder, and maybe it being separated or injured or whatever it is, that affects his mechanics just enough that he's not transferring his weight forward and throwing off his back foot, which, as you have pointed out, causes the ball to go high. I don't know. I don't know all of that stuff. But uh, what he did not do was go ahead and force the ball into bad situations. He had mm -hmm. no turnovers today. Yeah. He had no turnovers today. Two years ago, people say, oh, it's 2019 Baker. No, 2019 Baker would have thrown four picks in a game where he played as bad as he did today. So, like I said, I'm always looking for the silver lining. If his bad, bad day, like the worst day, which I think we can, we can agree today was the worst day of the year that he's had, is 15 out of 33, but no turnovers, no turnover-worthy plays, as far as I can recall, and a victory, I think we're in a good place with this guy. And I think he's he's clearly streaky. I don't want to bring up Dave Craig for the fellow olds <laughs> like me who was, you know, I, if, you're, if you're old enough to remember Dave Craig, peak Dave Craig when he was on was freaking Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. Like, you couldn't stop him. He was that freaking good. But when he was bad, he was insert name of Brown's quarterback from that jersey. I mean, like, it was yeah. it was that stark. That's how – he's not that hot and cold, but it's sort of in that world. Um, and I think the fact that it's continuing to be schemed open pretty consistently – He'll find it. I think they'll find it again like they did last year. I don't know what the difference is this year. Uh, last year it was the new offense and the new offseason and all that were legitimate reasons. I don't know what it is this year. Maybe it's the shoulder. We can't tell. Um, but uh, I think they will find it eventually. Uh, he also doesn't have, and I don't want to get into the debate about his contract. He, he doesn't have Jarvis Landry out there right now. Jarvis, for all the, sh the crap that he takes from a lot of people, is a calming influence on a lot of people. And maybe that's something that Baker's missing. I don't know. Um, but I think I, I would quibble with a few of the, the third and fourth down calls, especially the ones on the goal line. Um, the play calls, I know. I, and I'm not picking on Kevin Stefanski. There were people saying, oh, Stefanski's call, called a terrible game. I had that in my mentions a few times. I'm not saying that at all. I, I would quibble with it. You show me third and two from the two-yard line or third and two on the opposing 23 or something like that. I'm giving the ball to 24 or 27 two times in a row and taking my chances. That's just the way I am, nine times out of ten. And if they stopped your running game two times, you tip your cap. Okay, I get that. Now, I understand that using that to your advantage on occasion for the play action and the naked boot and, and all the stuff that's out there, I get it. I, I, and it works a lot, okay? But I think they're getting into far more than one with that. I think they're going, quote unquote, against tendencies to the point where it's not really going against tendencies anymore. Now, again, it all comes back to six. He hits Kareem Hunt on third down throw on that first drive. And we're not talking about any of this stuff. OK, all he needed to do was just settle just a bit because there was nobody near Kareem Hunt. So it, I, I don't know. It's. I, I think it's the third week in a row that we've said the offense is close. They're just not clicking on all cylinder. They're close, though. It's right there. It's within their grasp. They can do it. It is. And I know people get tired of hearing that, it is. but it's the truth. And they it still is. have, what, three and a half months or however long it is to figure it out? And I think they will. Yeah, I, it's, I, you can't, you can't it's say there. that about a lot of squads of the last 20 years, but this staff and this the players on this roster, I have full confidence that they will figure it out. Ryan Rosillo's podcast went on a great tangent about this the other day, about how like Twitter will tell you every coach is bad. If you pay attention to Twitter oh, long yeah. enough, every <laughs> single coach is terrible. Like it just yeah. is. And, and like, okay, Steve, like those fourth down play calls, you, you know, it, it, they get stuffed twice. Well, why didn't you, why didn't he play action? And then it's like, okay, you want him to be aggressive. Well, why is he not taking the points? It's right. like, no matter what he does, 
unless it oh, results yeah. in the outcome everybody wants. And I'm not, I'm not going at you here. I'm just talking out loud. Oh, I like I just yeah. could not agree more about what Ryan was saying. Like no matter what he does, somebody's going to have a problem with it. I think he's mm-hmm. hyper aggressive. I think that's who he's proving himself to be. Uh, again, if you're picking on him about challenge calls, if you don't think somebody's in his ear telling him challenge it or don't challenge it, you're ludicrous. It happens in a split second and somebody's in his ear who's watching the replay in in the fastest time they can possibly talk about it and saying, hey, challenge it. It is not a one man challenge decision. Now, he has the ultimate veto, but it is a collective group of people on the headset telling him to challenge. So quit saying like Kevin's terrible at challenges. Well, they're all terrible at challenges. Then they're going at the split second decision to challenge something. And listen, those are hard. It's so quick. Anyway, he called, in my opinion, one guy. Behind a microphone. I thought he called a great game. I thought he called a fantastic game. He had Uh guys wide open all over the field. And he ran the ball 35 times. And he gave his quarterback options to to really put 30 points on the Vikings today. So if you think, genuinely think, and you're completely okay about school, you can always argue about giving Nick and Kareem the football more. It's cool. I get it. They're special players and especially special in third and two, fourth and one goal line situations. You want those dudes to have the ball. So I get it. But if you hit Odell on the little pivot and go, if you hit Kareem for it, like he's got to be pulling his hair out. I watched a couple cutaways to Kevin on the sideline. It's wearing on him. It's just wearing on him. So I think he called a fantastic game. He was the right blend of aggressive, trusted his quarterback, displayed trust in his quarterback, even at the most pivotal moment, that third down they needed. They needed it and gave him the ball, but he also trusts his kicker too, who, again, Chase McLaughlin, shout out, doing Money. doing a great job. Love trust kid. his kicker. So he's doing, I think he's finding the perfect balance, and I think he's calling great schemes. I think he's giving his team offense, his team on offense chances to win by putting up points. He's frustrated. Baker's frustrated. Everybody is. These guys live and die by being good. They want it so bad. I can, like, I just keep saying it. You watch 13, and you watch Baker, and they want it so bad. One of these games, it's going to click, and they're going to throw for 250 yards to Odell. It's just, right. it's going to happen. But you got to own it this week, Bake, and he already did. He already said it in his presser. I was terrible. I was piss poor. I got to be better. The defense bailed me out. Great answer. That's what you got to say, and you got to be better. If the left shoulder is so bad that you cannot throw the football accurately, then you need to have a moment of self-reflection and trust the $7 million backup to come in and handle it for a couple weeks so it can get mm-hmm. right. That has to happen. So, Again, we I don't think everybody should spend their week making excuses for Baker. It's not healthy for you. It's okay to sit there and say your quarterback played terrible. He played yeah. terrible. He played terrible. Is that a because future? There's, there's a difference. Sorry to interrupt, but there's a Go difference ahead. between saying he had a terrible game and he's terrible. Completely there's, there's agree. A vast difference. You can you can 100%. say. Wow, I think Bake, and this is how I feel. This is so. Let me just go ahead and be the first one to say it because maybe it'll it'll let other people understand and and see that it's okay to say this. I, and you know, I'm much. I have always been much more bullish uh, than you. I think Baker Mayfield is a championship level quarterback. I think I've thought that since they before they drafted him. I think he is capital V capital guy. I also think he played awful today, um, and. He knows it better than I do. He he is harder on himself than any of us could possibly be. That does that mean I think Baker's terrible and I'm a Baker hater? And I, no, I I just said I think he's a championship level quarter, the best in the world at whatever day, whatever job you have. You have a bad day at work every so often. Yeah. I've I, I've been I've been a comedian for almost 30 years now, and and 95, 98 percent of the time I walk off stage and go, "Hey, and those people had a good time tonight. That was a good show." I'm good at what I do. I know that I'm not George Carlin, but I'm good at what I do. But once in a while, two, three, four times a year, I walk off stage and I go, "What the f was wrong with me tonight? Good God, I was terrible." And no wonder that these people are going to hate me if they see me after the show. And I like hide. We all have bad days at work. Baker had a bad day at work. But again, like I said, his bad day at work involved no turnovers and a victory. So let's learn from this rather than learning from a loss. So they made their money last year, Steve. They made awards. They made made all the things they made because Kevin Stefanski turned around Baker. That, that There have been countless words written on it, countless time given it in thought. How did Baker get fixed act, after week seven? 
It's part Baker, it's part AVP, and it's part Kevin Stefanski. And they have to come together now, realize where it's at, look themselves in the mirror, and say, hey, how do we fix it? That was why last year was successful. If the Browns continue on this path, winning football games, especially over the course of the next four weeks, it'll be because Baker's starting to turn it around. So the biggest challenge for the Browns moving forward, how do we get number six playing the type of football we have, A, seen him play, and B, know he is capable of playing? That's where I'm at, Steve. Not going to go any deeper into it right now. We're going to have an offensive and defensive all 22 write-up for you. We're going to have a Baker film room Tuesday. We'll have our defense and O-line on Wednesday. We'll talk through it all. It'll all come for you. We're giving you our immediate reactions. I hope that you have enjoyed them. We'll talk more about this stuff throughout the week. We'll have a Monday Rewind show tomorrow. Steve will be there. I'll be there. We'll talk about it on Twitch. Make sure you join us. Steve, thanks for joining, friend. You got it. And and everybody remember, win. They won. It's a, You're allowed to, to enjoy that part of it. It's okay to be happy with a win. This is a Victory Monday podcast, not an eh, whatever podcast on Monday. <laughs> this is a Victory Monday. Huge shout out to Steve for joining and taking time on his Sunday to, to, to go over this game and talk about it. Thank you all for joining us on Twitch, both, both before and after. If you have never joined us on a Twitch show, I urge you strongly to do so. I think it's really good content. We give you an hour before the game, plenty of time after the game to break it all down. It's all there for you. So again, appreciate all of your efforts joining we had over 35 podcast reviews in the last three days alone. I, I'm blown away. You guys are so kind to me on this thing, and I'm going to get the hat drawing started next week. If you have not done so, I can. Uh, if you go in and you leave a review, and it doesn't have to be five stars. You can be honest. You can say Jake's a schmuck and leave a one-star review, whatever you feel about this pod if you tune in enough and you're now listening 40, 50 minutes in to hear me even say this. Leave a review. I would greatly appreciate it. And you will enter yourself into the drawing. If you leave your Twitter handle or Instagram handle, probably Twitter, cause I don't have Instagram, leave your Twitter handle in that review. And you're in to, to get a, into the drawing, to get a Browns film breakdown, original hat, which is they're pretty, they're pretty dang cool. So thanks to everybody for joining the Browns beat the Vikings 14, seven, enjoy your Sunday night. If you're listening to this on Sunday night or your victory Monday, uh, enjoy those uh, both in their entirety. Uh, appreciate you guys so much for listening. And as usual, we sign off with go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.